When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Lee, I'll start with you. Um... Do you think that even if Newcastle get two loan players in and let's say they get Almiron in, that'll be enough to persuade Rafa Benitez to stay? Possibly not. I think you want, you want written assurances of what's going to happen in the summer. That's just something that'll bridge the gap between now and the end of the season. Uh, but he's been let down in four windows before this. You could say he's been let down in, in this window. I think it would take so much more to, to get him to sign that deal. Um, you know, we're talking about the academy before, what Mark was talking about. He wants to make changes there. He wants to make changes to the scouting department. The cry and shame is, is that this club could really move on in the next decade if Rafa was you know, given the full responsibility of the football. He was meant to be getting it when he signed the contract originally, but Newcastle just seemed to have you know, almost kind of went round loopholes and things like that, and it's just so disappointing. You did ask him, uh, I think it was last weekend, when there was stories about Dennis Wise potentially coming back. You can boo with that name, Dennis Wise. Yeah, I thought, uh, um, that no one can come above him. And you, I mean, because it is in his contract that he gets the final say on, on football matters. Well, he's got the final say on which player, the name of which player comes. But where they've kind of messed him around is... They haven't, they d- he didn't have the final say on the money. So the kind of carpet gets pulled from beneath his feet. Whenever he goes in with a, a big name or a good name, um, they say we can't afford him or we can't pay the signing on fee or his wages are too high or like Rondon, originally when he wanted to pay 60 million, he's a little bit too old, he doesn't fit in with our blueprint. It's just excuse after excuse. And Sorry if it's gloomy what I'm saying, but... That that's the club we're covering, unfortunately. Yes. Chris, do you get the feeling that, that you know those behind the scenes want Rafa to stay, and does Rafa want us to, to, to stay, or has the um, bridges already been burned? Well, everyone you speak to at the club, no matter how 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 high up or how low down they are, they insist they want Rafa Benitez to stay, and I do believe they're genuine in extent, and I think Benitez ideally. If he got everything he wanted, if he could make the changes he would like to make, he would like to be at Newcastle United for years to come. But 
the problem I have is that I, I just think that there's two divergent ideas as, as to the way the club's going to go forward. During the summer of 2016, when Newcastle went down, the message was from above what Rafa wants, Rafa gets. And Newcastle spent a lot of money that summer, albeit they recouped quite a lot as well. And basically Benitez got the squad he wanted. Ever since, it's changed slightly. And I think that there is basically a policy at the football club whereby they put players that they would like to bring in and Rafa has a different idea of the sort of players he wants so the club would ideally like players under the age of 26 potential sell-on value uh, those who they see can grow Benitez believes that you can have a certain proportion of players like that but you also need experienced players to help them along he points to the fact that Newcastle being relegated twice under Mike Ashley's ownership he thinks there needs to be a tweak in the model I don't think it's the same upstairs if that's the way the club wants to go I don't think Rafa Benitez is the man for that position I mean, I'm more on Rafa Benitez's side. I think the club should follow his model. But if they don't, if they don't think that's the right way forward, then I can't see a long-term relationship continuing between the two. Uh, Matthew, obviously, you go to the press conferences um, every Friday, and then we're within there after the game as well. And, I mean, what you guys you might see here on the radio, you might see the tweets or the reports, but obviously we get to see Rafa face-to-face -face and we get to see his mood. And I think it's fair to say that over the last few weeks, few months, his mood is, has changed quite somewhat. And you're not really filled with that much optimism that he's now feeling optimistic about the future. I think the longer it goes on, the chances recede of him staying for all the reasons that we've discussed. It would take a monumental shift in the club's approach, I think, to get him to work uh, under this current um, regime, frankly. But that said, they have changed tack in the past, haven't they? Remember the director of football and that particular model? Then Graham Carr had the power and then they shifted it to Benitez and it worked that summer in uh, the championship three years ago when he made those signings. But you talked about some small improvements to the training ground. I mean, mostly cosmetic, but he authorized them. They were delivered and that seemed to be working. It got the results, it got the team up and then they seemed to have changed back. Um, I think, though, because of how much he genuinely loves being here and um, the Benitez that we see behind the scenes and, you know, we all get time with him, Lee and I have him one-on-one -on -one separately ahead of a match on a Friday. The Benitez you get there behind closed doors is the Benitez that you see in front of the cameras. Yes, there's times he has a message that he wants to get across, but he is sincere in the way that he behaves and the way that he speaks about Newcastle, the club, the city, what it means to all of you he understands it. He's bought into that. He spent three years here when, as Mark and others said earlier, he didn't need to. He didn't need to stick around. Um, it suits him being here because it's a big club. He sees the potential. Yes, geography comes into it because he wants to be near his family uh, on the Wirral as well. There's so many factors in favor of him staying, but there are some big determining factors against him staying. And those are the ones that need to change. But Maybe it's the optimist in me that I still think he'll, even if he has what would be a, a fifth bad transfer window out of six at this club, he will still give the Newcastle a chance to meet him in the middle, maybe. And it might not be just about money. I think, Chris, you talked earlier about the way Newcastle go um, to the transfer market with not a budget, but an approach. If the deal's right, they'll do it. Not they've got this money, work within that. Um, I think it's more about power and control, like that summer in the championship. Even if he doesn't have 100 million to spend, if he's got 50, well, he can spend it all on one player or 
five, 10 million players, but let him make the decision. You've trusted him with a big contract, with his reputation, a man of his eminence, and you're not backing him. And, and I think that's probably where he feels let down most, that he's here on big money and he needs to be trusted to deliver. And just picking up quickly on, on something you said about the approach, the model, and signing young players. Um, I gave a couple of examples earlier of big money young players that will probably go for big fees in the future. Um, Newcastle had success in the past, didn't they, with Carroll, who they produced, Kabai, who they bought and sold on, and one or two others. But um, you look at the, the recent successes in the transfer market. Dubravka, 30 last week. Fernandez, 29, 30 next month. Diame hasn't hit the heights that he reached in the second half of last season yet, but an important player, 31. Key, got into the team belatedly, but did well. I think Longstaff's done well. Hayden's done okay in his circumstances. They've missed him, 30 today. Rondon, 29. It's that experience that has been the spine of the team that Newcastle have needed that's been lacking. And as I talked earlier about a mix in terms of the approach with big money players and bargains, you also need, I think, the mix, the blend of youth and experience and character, which was lacking when they went down three years ago. Benitez understands that if the club would maybe come round to that way of thinking a bit more, I think it would please him. And that could be one of the things that they need to agree on in order to make the progress for him to really seriously consider staying beyond the summer. Fingers crossed. Uh, Sean, I mean, it, it, it's unthinkable that Benitez could leave, really, because it'd be hard, you'd be hard-placed to pick a manager who could do so well with such a limited squad. Definitely. I, mean, I think he's already proven that with the results last year. I mean, to finish 10th in the first season of the Championship, given the minimal investment, was, was absolutely unbelievable achievement from Benitez and his players last year. And it, you know, we shouldn't be in a position where six months away from, from the end of his contract that he's still in a position where he hasn't signed a new deal. We haven't given him what he wants. He's proven that he can bring success to this club. He stayed with us in the championship when he had other offers. He won the championship. He finished in the top half. Newcastle haven't kicked on. And it's been an opportunity missed. And I don't want to look back in years to come and think it's been an opportunity missed. I mean... I mean, I've worked in this in this job now since September 2016, but before that, I was a fan. I've always been a fan of Newcastle, and I'm too I'm too young. I'm younger than most members on the panel to remember the Keegan days. But when I first started growing up as a Newcastle fan, so Boy Robson was in charge, and Newcastle were playing in the Champions League, reaching the UEFA Cup semi-finals. Even then, with Sooness, and it wasn't the greatest era, but FA Cup semi-final, UEFA Cup quarter-final, and I think, oh, brilliant, this is it, you know following a team who, who has ambition, we're, we're doing well in, in clubs, not necessarily winning them, but we're having a run, we're having a go. Under the Ashley era, there's been absolutely nothing to celebrate. I mean, the first two years were one of the most forgettable periods for me as a fan, watching Newcastle, two relegations. And when Benitez come in, it, it, after, after all those years of not having nothing to hope for, it gave everybody hope. I went to Leicester away the first game and the atmosphere in the away end was unbelievable. And you know, even though Newcastle went down, the, you know, the difference in the atmosphere went from the Steve McLaren era in the, in the home end to when Rafa Benitez was there was, was palpable in the stadium. And to think that we've had a world-class manager who's won Champions Leagues, he's managed Real Madrid, he's won the Europa League, he's won the UEFA Cup, he's won La Liga. To pass such an opportunity by there with such a world-class manager, I think I just don't want to look back on that in 10 years' time and think, what if? Yeah, I think everyone is was definitely under that agreement. Mark... Um, moving on to the, the takeover, can you just talk a bit about the letter? Because I know when this letter came out from Peter Kenyon, a lot of people took to, to social media and, and 
we're very skeptical and, and no doubt you can understand why, but it'd be interesting to get your, in, your kind of insight as, as essentially the editor of the sports desk, really. Um, so the, um, <clears throat> the letter was originally intended for the, the Daily Mail, I think, who um, the chief sports writer there seems to have a relationship with Mike Ashley because there's two or three things, I think, that have, that have come out now um, through uh, the chief sports writer, the Daily, Daily Mail, um, from the, the Ashley end, it's pretty clear. I think the Chi Onwara letter that was sent um, also, also came there, so it was originally going to the Daily Mail. I think it was also... Um, it was also sort of came came to us as well. I don't want to reveal the source because I think that's that's not really fair. But it came to us as well, and I think the intention of that letter um, was not necessarily to prove that Peter Kenyon was the real deal. It was more um, from well, I don't think it wasn't to fool the fans. It was to basically it was an attempt, I think, by uh, Mike Ashley to say this is what Peter Kenyon's saying to me, saying I. You know, I, I'm, I'm not far away from doing the deal. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, we, we could do it before Christmas. And I think that's, that, that was what it was. It was an attempt to sort of say, look, I'm not making it up. He is here. Um, and it, it, to be fair, it was released with the, um, with the permission of, of Peter Kenyon as well. Peter Kenyon signed it. Um, I think the only reason it wasn't reproduced was there was slight legal questions over whether you could reproduce it in the format that it was in. Um, but it could, you know, it, it was, it had his signature on it. Um, I think what for me was... I felt at the time, it felt very strange. I think somebody said to me, uh, and they were quite right, you know, if really powerful businessmen don't write that letter in the language that was on it um, if they're about to complete a takeover. So I think everybody felt, it, in one way it was good because it showed that Peter Kenyon was genuine, it showed that he was, he was true, but in terms of actually completing a deal, it felt a bit weird that the date on it was obviously pre-Christmas as well, and, and it was it was a few weeks after January. So um, it, it showed, I think, at the time that, that, that he was genuine, but it didn't show that he was he was very close to getting the funds. And I think the problem has always been uh, the funds. I think the, the biggest regret for me over this whole sorry saga, because we started, I know a lot of people will say that you, are, you only write about the takeover because it gets your clicks and stuff. Well, I'll tell you now that it, it got to the point where um, writing anything about the takeover was not generating any interest. People were fed up of it. We were fed up of it. There was no specifics on anything. What changed was Mike Ashley coming out and giving that interview on Sky News. And I don't understand why he went into it in the way that he did, unless it was, you know, an attempt to uh, to, to push things a little bit forward. But having said that, you know, as I said, we've we we asked the club that question as well, and they. They insist, and I think it's, you know, there's a lot of people who've said it who um, are very vocal critics of Mike Ashley as well. A lot of other journalists who are very vocal critics of Ashley who wrote the same thing, that people within the club um, felt that there'd been so much activity through lawyers and accountants within the club that this must be serious, this must be the time. Um, because I know from, I know somebody who works works there, and they said that uh, Lee Charnley had cancelled a meeting sort of two or three weeks before uh, the Ashley interview because he was in with lawyers and accountants going through the books um, to the point where it could be sold. I suspect that the reason that that happened was because Peter Kenyon had some funding. He wanted to get to absolutely under the bonnet, if you will, um, and spent some money on that because he felt if he had the full financial picture, he could go away to potential investors and sell it. But that is not what's happened. And of course, the problem for him was... The results went down the Swanee around Christmas. 
a lot of investors would say, hold on, what am I investing in here? A Premier League club or a championship club? Which is why the pre-Christmas deadline was basically put in because they had to do something in January to, to ensure that the club stayed up, and that's not what happened. And I feel the whole thing has been an epic waste of time, an epic waste of energy. And um, you know, I think the next time it comes around, people just aren't going to trust anything that's written or said about the takeover. It's bad for us, it's bad for fans, it's bad for everybody. I don't understand why it was done. Uh, Lee, I mean, do you think that, I mean, obviously Peter Kenyon was, was genuine to a certain extent, but at the time that that interview with Sky was done, uh, the Magpie group were planning a protest, and by all accounts, it looked like it, it might have quite a big following. Do you think that was a coincidence that that interview was taken at that time? I think Kenyon likes the idea of, of being the next managing director at Newcastle, and he's, he's got the, the plan in place. Uh, I think the pressure was building on, on Mike Ashley, and maybe that was in his head when he come out on Sky News and said that because, you know, we, we know what, what happened next. And it was probably, <laughs> it, well, it's hard to say, isn't it? It's each individual can make their mind up about what how they want to protest. Uh, I, I think really Mike Ashley's had 11 years at the club now and I think we're, we're all pretty r much ready for, for change. And I was talking to two lads down there about our generation when Kevin Keegan was in charge and the sky was the limit and you know the team was fantastic that's that's the potential we're not probably going to get these days back but that shows the potential of the football club and the potential of the city and that's something that they should be thriving to rather than trying to save money on uh, loan deals and things like that one gentleman said to me before that Mike Ashley doesn't want to sell you know why would he the money's there the, the state of the Premier League the TV money etc do you, do you agree with that? Because he doesn't, the money, if they stay up, he can, he can achieve, you know, he doesn't have to invest really, does he? Yeah, but eventually people will walk away and that's probably what will happen if Rafa Benitez doesn't sign a new contract unless they're going to get somebody absolutely unbelievable to come in. They're not staying for Mike Ashley, they're staying for, for the loyalty to the club and you can see that in all the games. Chris, on a Kenyan, um, I mean, <laughs> Good history at Manchester United and Chelsea. Um, obviously helped my United to, to win in titles and went out of Chelsea, etc. But uh, can you understand the scepticism? Because he didn't have the money. He's not a rich man. I mean, compared to us, he is a rich man. But compared to the owners of the Premier League, he, he can't take Newcastle to the next level, surely. No, and that was always my concern from the start. With the <coughs> excuse me, the whole Peter Kenyon approach was that he was going to be leading a consortium and he needed to get the money in the first place, if he'd come in and he already had all the investment and ready to ready to buy the club, I would have fully understood. But the fact that when there were stories that started to emerge and the national press would suggest that he was almost going for a whip, whip round and saying to people, if you invest one million, you can, you can have a part of, of this football club. I was always skeptical about that. And I think that he has the credentials and shown that he can run a football club but to run a football club as an employee is very different to actually buying and taking over a football club. And the question before about is Mike Ashley a genuine sellout? Well, I think he is, but at his own price. And nobody has yet come and said to him, he has £300 million, no string, strings attached. I want to buy the football club from you. If someone did, I think that... The things would probably move quite quickly. And I think that you think, right, I can move on because that's not just his price for the club. That's also his interest-free loans in the club would be included in that. He'd have no 
uh, further interest in Newcastle United. And I think that if, if that happened, he may move on, but nobody has yet come forward and really put that money forward, and that has been the main issue. Personally, I, I think that if someone came and said, here's £300 million, st no strings attached, I think he would go because I, I think it's causing him more hassle than good now. Everything that's coming out from the football club, all the protests, everything negative. He's got business interests elsewhere. Newcastle United is not his priority as much as everyone here, I'm sure, would like it to be. And I think if someone came and said he has 300 million, I personally think he would go. But until it happens, it's only a theory. Matthew, I mean, someone has written a question here, John Friend, saying, I mean, this is an accusation that Kenyon, I mean, we know Ashley and Kenyon do know one another, but the accusation is that Kenyon is Ashley's mate and it was all done just to kind of calm the, the, the discontent. I mean, yeah, that's a bit, bit far-fetched, because Kenyon is a respectable businessman in the end, surely. I think when this news emerged, most of the listeners to our phone-in show on BBC Newcastle were cynical. Here we are again. We've heard it all before. John Anderson, former player, does the matches and total sports show, was exactly the same. He said, I'll believe it when it happens. And I think probably most of us, because we've been down this route, not just last year or the you know last winter with Amanda Staveley, we've been here in the past. Remember Barry Moat in 2009 after relegation the first time? You know, this, ha this hasn't gone away since probably Kevin Keegan left in September 2008. It's been a recurring theme. Will Ashley sell? Is there interest? And Lee, I think you said it earlier, people are, people are sick and tired. Mark, you're right. People are fed up with this topic. And just picking up on, on, on your point there, you're right because they've got to have the money to buy the club, but then people have got to be able to run the club. But even if they didn't have fortunes to put in to run the club just spending the money the club has would be more than what is being done at the moment. And Newcastle United gets a lot of criticism, and a lot of it's fair. Mark, you, you said earlier there's some good people at the club doing their best, some fans at the club who, who get caught up in all of that. But um, it, it does feel, doesn't it, like just like a different club to how it used to be, to the one that whatever era we all grew up supporting the club in, it just feels different now. And, it's, and, it's, and I think it, it's because of the approach, isn't it? It's because, remember the banner, where was it? Was it Stoke or Leicester or Swansea? We don't demand a team that win. We just want a club that tries. And it's going to take, take the change of ownership for that change in ethos to match what the supporters want generally. Just a club that tries. Will Ashley sell? He came out of nowhere when he bought the club. How are you doing there? It is David from the David McWilliams podcast, and this is a Staycast from Acast. We're all following the government's advice right now. We're staying in. It's a little bit cocooning, but it's all working. So while you're staying at home, here's a recommendation of another great podcast. It's the Blind Boy podcast. He's an old mate. He's a great skin. He has extraordinarily interesting views of the world. Check it out. It, it's well. He tells you that he wants to sell, but 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 people don't. But the problem is, people people don't believe him because the trust the trust has eroded, hasn't it? If it was ever there, that's that that is the problem, isn't it? That, that there's no trust there now, and and yeah, and you believe it when you see it. You believe it when you see it. That's the stage you're at with. I think the relationship between owner and supporters it, it's non-existent now, isn't it? Um, and he came out of nowhere to buy the club. 
He'd said about Amanda Stavely that he didn't like the public nature of her attempts to buy the club. Perhaps he will sell it in the same way that he bought it, just like that, with nobody knowing about it. We'll see. But, but when will that be? The appetite for change is just enormous, as we see tonight, as we've known for months and for years. Exactly. I mean, Sean, do you think that £300 million is a fair price to pay for Newcastle United? I think as long as Rafa Benitez is there, it helps inflate the prices. £300 million fair, I would say probably not. I would say probably slightly less than that. I mean, you know, Newcastle is a club that is generating a lot of money, as we've seen in the, in the Deloitte reports today. Excellent fan base who come week in, week out, sell in the stadium, sell out away days, buy the merchandise. So, you know, it's... It, Granted, but in terms of, you know, it is a huge club with massive potential. Maybe 300 million, well, I would say 300 million is probably too much. I would say somewhere between, you know, 200, 250 million, probably slightly more fair. But, you know, it's, 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 as long as Rafa Benitez is there, I think they can, they can continue to drive that price. But then that just makes it even more, you know, ridiculous that within six months of his contract run now, there still hasn't been a new deal given to him because... You know, with Amanda Stavely, we knew that part of her manifesto, she was going to take over the club, was massively going to include Rafa Benitez. You would think anybody who's going to invest in Newcastle United would do it on the proviso that Rafa Benitez is going to be your manager because that's half your job. You've already got a world-class manager in place. If that goes and he still wants £300 million, I'm afraid that it's just not going to happen, is it? I think the problem is that part of that money is the loans, as Chris said as well. So, you know, in terms of the, the price of the club, you know, that, that, that's factored in as well. I think you saw down the road at Sunderland, that's a motivated seller, selling to somebody, who, you know, for, for virtually no profit. The problem is Mike Ashley's a motivated seller, but only at the price that he wants. And um, I think at the moment he feels it, you know, I think the problem is that he, he has sort of, ridden out quite a lot of crises in the past because, you know, as a city, we absolutely, you know, we, we hang on the football club and that, and, and, and it's almost like, I think the cruelest thing is that is being used against, you know, that is being almost, that is almost the, the, the gift of this place and the curse of this place because if people walked away, he, he, might, he might end up selling, but I don't think people should walk away from the football club because it's their football club, it's not Mike Ashley's football club. And any responsible or decent owner would recognise the, the excitement and passion that people have for the football club here and get them on side. That's what Rafa did. And that's why, that's why, he, that's why he's been successful, because he knows. Uh, well, I think, I think the thing is that, you know, we're told that there's other groups, um, but their interest kind of waxes and, and wanes and uh, nobody's got close enough. Um, at, at this point. I mean, the biggest disappointment for me is that there's no individual out there w willing to kind of come in and take and take Newcastle United. But maybe part of the reason for that is because, you know, look, we talked about infrastructure investment earlier. It's not, the price is maybe 300 million, which whether you think that's fair or not, how much money are you going to have to spend when you come in? You're going to have to spend money on, on, the, on, on the transfer. You don't have to spend money on bringing players in. You're going to have to spend... I mean, you know, we were told that Stavely, we knew a bit about her plans and there was money in there. Also, she had earmarked money, I think, or that the idea was the money for some training ground improvements, some, some infrastructure stuff. So it's, it is 300 million, but then there's extra money. And unfortunately, for a lot of people, um, that, that is, you know, they, they do the due diligence and look at it and say, well, actually, there's X, X that you have to bring in as well. Because um, at the moment, they are... Um, they are a club that's kind of, you know, bottom half of the Premier League, which is, you know, for me, how Newcastle United 
have ended up being a yo-yo club in ten in the last ten years is it, it's absolutely unbelievable. You know, it should never, never, ever be that. I was told, by the way, by the Premier League. Somebody at the Premier League told me that they think that there are two football clubs in the north that could dominate the north. One's Newcastle and one's Leeds, and they th and that's 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 people who are independent of this place think that Newcastle United could be a club of the north. You know, they could be that that big. And, but the problem is that that ambition is not matched at St James's Park. I think that's about it. We're going to just, has everyone's got a couple of questions? We've got time for a couple of questions. So if you want to put your hands up um, and we'll go around with a mic. Uh, one of my biggest fears at the moment is um, with everything that's gone on and, you know, the, the, consist the consistent lies about takeovers or whatever, um, is the only way to get, like, for Mike Ashley to leave this club for, God forbid, do we have to go and do a Sunderland and get relegated twice? force him out that way well potentially that could force him out but I, I, I actually think that one if Newcastle go down this summer I actually think it's less likely that Mike Ashley will go in, in the short to medium term because I think that he want to come back up and then get a, a significant price I don't think that he wants to take a lot Every what I've heard over the last few months is that with the Kenyan deal and a few of their deals he's made it clear that don't wait until we may be in the championship next season because I'm not going to take a cut price off for that and so the issue, the issue there is that maybe relegation will actually wed him closer to the club. He said that himself when they went down uh, for the second time. He said, basically, we're stuck with each other for now. He wants his price. I think that if Newcastle stay up, there's more of a chance. But as again, as I say, I think that he wants a specific price, which no one has yet met. Just, you, you seem to have your finger on the pulse when it's coming to the finances of the club. What's the latest update on the, the VAT, the HRMC investigation? Um, well, it's, I mean, the word is it's, it's ongoing. Um, I think we saw in the last accounts, didn't we, that some money has been put aside for liability on that one. Um, they're not the only club, I think, that they're looking at the uh, HMRC. Uh, HMRC are looking at, I think they're looking at a wider investigation. It's obviously, it's an ongoing investigation. There's not too much we can, we can say, and they're quite... They're quite sort of secretive about how uh, about how things go, but I would expect. I mean, I, I I remember I was a crime reporter before I was a uh, before I was a football reporter, and uh, I remember covering or going into court once for a one of those cases, and they they take forever. You know, they can be if it comes to court, it could be years and years in court as well. They're they're notoriously really really difficult to. Um, to prosecute um, and and really really you know they're incredibly complicated so it wouldn't surprise me if that goes on for a few more years. Um, yeah, I mean that it's a very good point because if you're doing due diligence, you'd look into what potential liabilities there are in the future. And I think the club the club didn't put aside the money in terms of it was ring fenced. It was it was in the accounts that this money is this money is there in in, in case of something happening there. Uh, I think. <laughs> For me, it feels a bit like that. I don't think that would stop the, the takeover from, from, from happening. Uh, I know we, were talk we talked about Staveley, and I think the word that came back from that was, you know, that that was kind of, that was to be discussed and, and, and what have you as well. So I, I'm not sure that would stop the takeover, but in terms of will they, be, will they be charged, will they not be charged, we don't know at this point because it's still an ongoing investigation. Yeah, got uh, two more questions. going to last one over there in a second, but there's just a gentleman over there first, and then um, we'll have to wrap it up. Unfortunately, um, but you. yeah, go on. Would you say that there's a there's a real Ford, Ferdinand had any credibility in what he when he raised the subject of Ashley? And secondly, as a as a two part question, 
would you say there's any chance of, a, of them coming back at the end of January with some sort of strike action against, you know, this, this, this groundswell against Ashley again? Will that happen, do you think? Well, on, on the Rio Thank Ferdinand you. question, it, for me, all that illustrated was how little uh, Ashley and Bishop know about the Geordie public that they think they actually thought that putting someone up like Rio Ferdinand, who's ex-Man United and Leeds, the fans would, you know, be feeding off what he said. I, I just thought that was an absolute, and yet another PR own goal on, on that one. And it's just there's a long list of them. You could write a book about it. You know what I mean? Uh, and every time Mike Ashley has a chance to do something right, he gets it wrong. And that's it. Rio Ferdinand was another example of that. And I can't remember what the second part of the question was, but I think the Magpie Group released a statement about a week and a half ago suggesting that if there wasn't significant uh, movement in the transfer market, that they would look to, to take action in the next few weeks. I know that there was the planned boycott at, at Wolves, which was cancelled, but there's talk that they could do. Uh, I think there's a, there's a sit-in protest plan. Actually, I think it's for the Man City game next week if there isn't significant progress. And then also um, something about a stand-up for Rafa, which I don't I don't know exactly what that entails. So I think that there, there is the support there. I think there are fans who, who are disillusioned. And th there's always this big question mark for supporters. And when, when it's your football club and you aren't happy with the way it's being run, part of your life is going to see that football club. How do you... How do you make your feelings clear while still trying to support the club and fans are having that big question at the moment I don't think that I would never question anything that any supporter wanted to do whether they wanted to protest or not but I do think that certainly if Rafa Benitez hasn't signed a contract within the next six weeks and there isn't significant movement in the next week in the, in, the, in the transfer market I do think that we are likely to see further calls for protests. Can I just add very quickly on, on Rio Ferdinand? Part of the problem for Rio Ferdinand, read Dennis Wise, Tim Sherwood in the last few weeks and others, these people form opinions all around the country and they've got a national platform and that's why it's dangerous because how often do we hear fans of other clubs, read fans of other clubs, read other pundits and presenters describe Newcastle fans as being unrealistic in their ambitions, demanding, over the top, wanting the world. That's not the reality that we know. Yes, there's some fans who, you know, maybe dream a bit more than others, but I think after we're into the 12th year of being owned by Mike Ashley, I think most people are pretty realistic about where the club is, and it's dangerous having people like that, Ferdinand, etc., giving out these lines that sound nice, that fans of other clubs will just buy and believe but the facts are there to be found, and it doesn't take too much research for any pundit, Ian Wright being one of them, no link to Newcastle, he's mates with Alan Shearer, but I think that's about it. He's always very positive about the club because he's done the research, he's found it. If some of the others who have a national platform did the same, whether they have a link to Mike Ashley or not, the club would get a better press nationally and the fans wouldn't get such a hammering from people who don't know what it's all about. I would say that I think the rhetoric's... I, just add that I think the reaction to Rio Finance comments, I think, shows the rhetoric is changing because a lot of national journalists, Henry Winter, for example, who's always been a very good advocate of Newcastle, but others that haven't really voiced their opinion called Rio Finance out and said, you know, you are talking crap, essentially. Yeah, it did, and I think it was nice to see fans of rival clubs also jumping on the battle of Rio Finance comments and calling them for what they were, and, you know, 
a lot of what you said was patently untrue and it's frustrating as a fan base allowing Rio Ferdinand to be on BT Sport before a game where there's such a massive audience watching on TV to say those things. And as Matthew says, people who won't know the situation like we do up here will form those opinions. And, you know, it's, it's unfair on the club, it's unfair on the fans that people are going to form those opinions because Rio Ferdinand is saying this to such a massive audience when it's not true, when he, he's, he's, he's talking about the debt, when we know that the accounts have said that the club have made a loss in the last few years. He's talking about Rafa ben appointing Rafa Benitez when we know that Rafa Benitez approached the club himself. It's just patently untrue, and Tim Sherwood's another one who, who, who was going along the same lines. But, I mean, it's been refreshing to see the likes of Henry Winter, as Matthew pointed out, Ian Wright, uh, Chris Sutton in recent weeks in uh, the Blackburn game and on Five Live, telling how it is, telling the truth, and, you know, going back through and going about the transfer profits and what have you. I think... <clears throat> Although what he said, what Ferdinand said was, was, was wrong and you know there will be fans who make the wrong opinions off the back of that, it has been refreshing to see that some fans don't take it for what it is, do the research and call out for what it is and being untrue and I think that was really positive to see, you know what I mean, you know, it gave birth to Richard, Richard Keyes' latest ridiculous opinion, I think that was possibly the worst opinion of football team I've ever read in my whole entire life, I mean... They're suggesting that Rafa Benitez has spent his own money on the uh, on transfers, which is absolutely obscene. But there you go. I think that tells you all you need to know about Richard Keyes. <laughs> and final question: the gentleman here had his hand up. <laughs> Do you not think if Mike Ashley had any other ambition than finishing fourth bottom, he would sack Rafa and back? whoever he wants as manager, instead of saying, right, you're going to leave, you don't want to be here, I'm not going to back you and get relegated? I think, the, uh, I, think the problem, I think the problem is with Mike Ashley and football is that he doesn't know the first thing about it. Um, and, <laughs> you know, to be fair, to be fair to Alan Pardew, um, he actually said that on Sky, um, didn't he, after, uh, back like quite a while ago, he said, look, Mike doesn't understand football, he doesn't know football. Um, and he nearly got fired for that. Uh, he, was, he was taken up and, and, and given, a, given a warning for saying that. But he was absolutely right. And Mike Ashley has shown through the people that he's trusted in football um, that he doesn't understand football because he trusts Dennis Wise. Um, he trusts Joe Kinnear twice. <laughs> That's the problem, isn't it? If, if you think about the people that um, have come into the football club and, and, and not found it easy to work in, Kevin Keegan, Alan Shearer, Rafa Benitez, Chris Hewton came in and was fired by them. I mean, look what he's done since. This is the problem, and, and I think that this is the central problem of the football club, is that Mike Ashley is fantastic with numbers. And if you listen to people who've met him and, and talked to him, they say he's got this incredibly sharp business brain, so he runs it as a business, but it's not a business, it's a football club. So you need to listen to people who know football. Yeah, most, most certainly. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for tonight. I just can remind you to, um, we have a podcast every week, um, so it'd be great if you could subscribe and download that. But... Uh, Thank you to all of you for coming out. We appreciate it just after Christmas and it's not exactly the warmest nights out there. And thank you, most importantly, for raising money for the food bank because it is, unfortunately, a much-needed much boost for them, especially this time of year. So thank you very much. This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. 
It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.